Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cardboard Herald, my chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. And today joining me from Haba Games is T. Kyrez. Welcome to the show, T. I was so like not prepared for such a professional introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you get on the Cardboard Herald. Do you feel professional? Not at this exact moment, but it's okay. mostly because uh, I'm in my attic <laughs> and I'm like, wait, which t-shirt am I wearing today? Yeah. Um, uh, I would say on most given days, I do not feel professional, especially recently as I've been working mostly in yoga pants uh, and t-shirts. Uh, and then even then my normal day job consists of playing a bunch of children's games. Yeah, so. well, I mean, what's the dress code at Haba Games? You're not allowed to wear yoga <laughs> pants at the office? I mean, at least jeans. you got to be able to wear jeans on a day-to-day. -day. Well, considering Haba Games' office is my house, um, well, there is no there real dress go. code. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, Haba USA's headquarters is actually in Scanny Atlas, New York, and the dress code there is... Um, like business casual. So if I was going into the office, I would be wearing at least jeans. Um, T-shirts were okay, but kind of like, mm. um, but yeah, uh, I, yeah. And I've only been to the office a couple times for the most part. I work from home, but at conventions and whatnot, sometimes I have been known to wear suits for trade shows. Uh, Hobbit Germany has a much more strict dress code i have to wear like jeans are okay but i have to wear i wear a suit coat when i go to work at haba germany um but the games division of haba usa is just my house so yoga pants i feel are in fact the dress code i could see you <laughs> rocking the like tech executive kind of look with like the the blazer and jeans combo like looking pretty smart like that it's usually what i do <laughs> there you go <laughs> So let's get a baseline for like who are you and what you do at Haba Games. Like when did you join the Haba crew? Uh, I joined Haba in what feels like a million years ago, uh, but it was actually <laughs> in fact um, it was actually in fact I think February eleventh, two thousand nineteen. So you know the date? Yes, because um, I was told, "Hey, you got the job, um, and we need you in New York in two days." <laughs> Wow. So, <laughs> also, you're coming to New York Toy Fair, so you need to have an appropriate wardrobe for New York Toy Fair. Um, so that was my onboarding. <laughs> That's a whole different bag of beans, like the Toy Fair versus the what people who watch the show or, you know, listen to this podcast may be used to as far as like conventions. I was talking to someone over at Blue Orange Games and they were talking about how yeah, we kind of dabble in the hobby game market, but like the toy fairs and, you know, actually chasing down like the these mass market children games expos is the, the way that they uh, tackle most of their market. And that's just like a, a whole other world than anything that I'm used to. Yes, it is completely different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show in the first place is because First off, you are awesome and the face of Hobbit Games to me uh, that I've met at conventions and, you know, I've interacted with plenty of times. But I know that it's got to be kind of a strange thing to straddle this line of being part of the hobby game world. I mean, Haba, I think for most people, is seen as the hobby board game kids game company. But also, you 
have such a much broader expanse than that. Was there something shocking to you when you first started at Haba that kind of redefined or recontextualized how you thought about it? Oh, definitely. Um, like I mentioned, my onboarding was New York Toy Fair 2019. And so I flew in not knowing what to expect at all. I knew that Toy Fair was more, way more business. I knew that no, there's no consumer attendees. Like to come to Toy Fair, you have to own a store. You have to provide the credentials that like, yes, I own a retail business. And like, this is my business license and stuff like that to even get a badge. And then, um, so there's no, and press, you have to, to get a press access to New York Toy Fair, you have to have a lot of views, a lot of history, um, an actual press credentials, um, and things like that. And so when I rolled into Toy Fair, I was like, I don't know what this is going to be like. Um, there's very limited video footage from what I'm normally used to seeing when we talk about going to a convention or show. And so I rolled into Toy Fair and it was very big, very colorful, big, fancy booths, like what you would see at kind of like Gen Con or something like that. Um, but with the products would obviously be more toy based. Um, but there's nobody playing with any of the toys. It's everybody in business suits. So it's everybody in business suits talking business about this is what your store could look like if you stocked our product and all this other stuff. Um, and so it was just totally different. And you talk to people about the products or the games and they they don't really care about how the game plays specifically. They just want to know the high level facts. Like what's the theme? What's the age? What's the play count? How much does it cost? Um, and so I would talk about like theme or something like that. And, and they just wouldn't, they would just, their eyes would glaze over if I started to talk about a little bit about how the game played. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was one of those things where I quickly learned when I was talking with a retailer or a store owner or a buyer from a store if they were a toy store, I would talk about the games in a very like almost clinical way. Um, and then if it was a game store, if they came up and said, oh, yeah, we're D20 games, I'd be like, oh, cool. OK, so this is a resource management game with some minor like action, <laughs> action allocation, a.k.a. like worker placement esque kind of thing. And they would be like, yeah, OK, cool. And then we talk about the theme <laughs> and the game. Whereas like with the toy store people, I'd be like, in this game, you are trying to gather resources to get contracts to score points uh, to have the most points at the end of the game. And it's $50 and it's eaten up and two to five players. And they would be like, cool, that's all we need to know. All right. And then meanwhile, if I said that to the game store people, they'd be like, yeah, but like how? But like, but like, what do you mean? What resources are you gathering? Like, how do you gather the resource? <laughs> you know, so it was kind of this weird thing for me. Um, so yeah, Toy Fair is just very different. And Haba actually, it's really interesting. Haba has a has more people know Haba as, like you said, like the hobby game children's company, except for Haba isn't. Um, right, Haba right. has <laughs> so Haba's catalog is actually 75% toys uh, and only 25% games. So the majority of Haba's like catalog and what we sell is, I don't actually have one. Oh, I do <laughs> like baby, uh, baby clutches, rattles, um, wooden, high quality wooden, um, puzzles or stacking blocks, or we have like a ball and track system, which is really cool. Um, with these push cars, it's called Coolerboo. I love it. 
Um, I, if I, if I could, I would have a massive cooler boot rack in my house, but that serves no purpose uh, for my job as a games person. So is that, is that percentage of what you guys sell? Is that consistent between the, the markets like us versus European market? Or do you like have more of a, a toys presence or, you know, children's toys presence in Europe, as opposed to here, you have a lot more of the sales of games. I would say it's, it's about the same. So in Europe, actually, Haba is significantly more well-known, um, especially in Germany. In Germany, right, right. Haba is as well-known as like Hasbro. Haba is actually better known than Hasbro in Germany. Um, it is essentially Germany's Fisher Price. Um, so Haba is extremely well-known in Germany, and they're known for everything. Haba in Germany, there's toys, there's games, there's camping equipment, there's clothing, there's school supplies, there's like furniture for school, like kindergartens and daycares and things like that. Like Haba can, if you wanted to do anything with kids that was, you know, in any way related to like education or entertainment, Haba makes it in Germany. Um, and so in the U.S., that we're not, Haba isn't as well known in the U.S. for that kind of totally. stuff. Um, and so, uh, and because our products are high quality German birch and sustainably made and forested and then, you know, like safe, um, water soluble stains and things like this on the toys. And we do all the child safety testing to the highest level in the world. Um, our price is a little bit more expensive. And so people in the U S they look at like Haba stuff versus to like Fisher price or something. And they, and they just buy the Fisher price, right? Cause it's American and, and cheaper and all this other stuff. So with Haba products in the US, we tend to only bring over kind of like the cream of the crop from the German side, like the items that are um, classic, what Americans would think of like classic toys, because when Americans think of wooden toys, they think like blocks and like trains. those uh, ball trains and, and that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of more of what the Haba toy market brings over. Um, but we also have like a vinyl doll play figure set, which is which is pretty fun to play with, um, with different animals and like um, uh, people of different skin colors and hair colors and all this other stuff. Um, and you can like pose them and they have little wooden houses and stuff. Um, and so it's like we pick and choose, but here's a great example. Uh, Haba Germany released a jeep and a uh trailer for the little friends which is the vinyl doll set and in america we were like yes and so we ordered a bunch of those we've sold out of them we can't keep them in stock whereas in europe they're kind of like with that one they're like oh it's not doing very well for us and we're just like we need more of this <laughs> um and so and then on the other side in europe they came out with a um with a big um, like farming, uh, which is kind of weird in America, you think this would be big with this one, but like a big like farmhouse with like bunny hutches and right, like all right. this other stuff. And and that one did really, really well in Europe. And then in America, it was kind of like, eh, okay, farm stuff. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of weird culturally uh, between the two countries. And then at the same time, yeah, it's just, if you imagine, I, I don't have my German catalog up here. The, the U.S. catalog is like sitting right there. But um, the U.S. catalog is about 100 and 170 pages. The German catalog is about 400 pages. 
So yeah, yeah and thick catalog. Oh, it's big. And and also the game section. There's way more games that come out in Germany than in the U.S., partially because of um, language, so localization. Germany, they have an entire game line um, that's called, uh, oh, it's like Rats something. I can't remember, but it's it's a language game. So it's it has, um, the intention is to teach preschoolers and whatnot how to like read or work on their language skills. And so it's very german um centric so it's it's there's word cards and letter cards on working on like german phonics and and things like that and so that we'd have to put in a lot of work and effort to translate that to english um and by the end of the day when we did that it's the amount of money and effort to do that to an american product right now doesn't make sense because there's already games that do that for America and for English. So it would be kind of like, mm. Speaking as a, a parent of a five-year-old who's trying to teach him to read right now, I need more access to not just educational games, but fun educational games. And, and to me, that's really the the takeaway from Haba Games. As a parent, is that there, there are so many games out there and these mass market games that we grew up with, they're, they're all right, you know, they're classics and they, they teach you things and there's some nostalgia factor to them. But the difference in the amount of fun that you have as an, an experienced gamer and engaging something even like My First Orchard, for example, you can see the the elements of cooperative gaming in this simple dice roller and grabbing a fruit and adding it to your basket. You see how that carries on into to other elements of gaming, and it does such a, a better job at teaching your your child adaptive skills in a fun way. And that that is like what Haba represents where I think a lot of parents. Oh, yes, definitely. The games that we do have and the games that are big in Germany and in the US, the ones that we have brought over, um, we've brought over because of that. They they do an amazing job. Um, Haba actually has child psychologists on staff. And when the games development team is making a game or considering making a game, they are looking at what skills that game will teach to a child. It's not just about oh, is this a silly, quick, fun, ha, ha, ha game? Like, what will this game teach children basically on accident, right? As far as the child's concerned, it's all accidental learning. But as far as Haba's concerned, it's extremely intentional. Um, And so you pointed out with First Orchard, that is we're teaching colors. We're teaching how to take turns, the idea of taking turns, which has bigger implications than just playing games. Um, because there's a lot of things in life that you just have to take your turn. Like you have to wait patiently and, you know, um, then the idea of being in a cooperative game versus a competitive game. And then, um, also learning how to deal with the idea of winning or losing. Uh, those are, yeah, those are all skills we work on and are intentionally in my first orchard. And then they've developed the game so that it is just, so naturally engaging for kids and for adults um, with the big, chunky, colorful fruit <laughs> that you just want to play with. I'm like, I just want to get my copy out and play with it. Um, this is sorry. It's, I'm just going to do it now. <laughs> but like these giant fruits, it's just you just want to play with them constantly. 
and that apprehension as the crow gets a little bit closer i mean that that's every bit as good as you know like being on the last run of pandemic or something you're like it's gonna happen we only have three fruit left yeah he's this little dude has striked fear into many uh many a people's hearts i feel um <laughs> because he will steal the fruit uh though also i've heard some stories of some parents where the kids get like they feel bad for the well so he's he's a he's a raven in the in the german copy but they feel bad for the raven when the raven doesn't win because the raven goes hungry right so i've heard a number of parents have told me they actually the kids actually will share one of the fruits with the raven at the end of the game that's Um, so sweet I love it. I was just like, of course they would. Of course. Um. Well, well, you have these games at, at all different developmental stages and, you know, it kind of progresses from First Orchard into things like Animal Upon Animal, for example. It, and something that you told me at PAX Unplugged last year kind of blew my mind. It was something that I had never thought about before. You were telling me that the there's a lot more dexterity games for Mm. uh, kids because it's a more even playing field for kids and adults. So like, is there like a a particular set of games that, that Haba has realized, like this is a way of making it a competitive game. That's, that's more fair for kids and that, that the win loss ratio is going to be more, uh, I, I guess, appropriate uh, so it's not parents having to choose to lose to their kids so there's a couple ways to even the playing field when it comes to playing with kids and adults and one of the ways that is most commonly used in kids games and Haba does use it occasionally would be introducing just random chance um so you know oh the parent rolled really poorly this game so the kid wins or um maybe you just don't get the cards that you need something like that so a lot of kids' games will use chance ex- very heavily to make the game competitive, but then there's no real skill. It's just you just hold on and go for the ride. Um, but that's how they kind of make it fair between kids and adults. Um, with Haba, we prefer and we use um, we use game mechanics that the kids already have developed the cognitive skills needed to play the game competitively. And the only thing that gives the parents an advantage would just be um, uh, basically practice. So if, right, so by the age of four, the human brain on average has developed everything that you need to be able to participate and play any game. So the brain has developed um, everything it needs for basic fine motor skills and uh, gross motor skills. The brain has also developed the ability to play pretend. And playing pretend is huge um, because you have to be able to imagine and understand imagination and then also understand the idea that, like, you know, this is this is representing an apple. Like your brain has to be able to understand that this represents an apple, even though it is not an apple. And so you have to agree that this represents an apple, (laughs) right? (laughs) I feel like we're on the verge of like, what if what I think is red is different than what you think is red, but then we agree that it's red. And so maybe we're all seeing different reds, but 
it's just red. But it's true. <laughs> so that's the thing. So by the time, on average, with the human brain, by the time um, everybody has reached age four, everybody's brain has developed to the point where we all understand and can do these kind of concepts inherently. So if you tell a child um, the idea that, oh, we're going to play pretend and and you're going to go to sleep for pretend. They understand. They just lay down and pretend to sleep or something like that. And then at the same time, when you're playing a game, you have to say, okay, we're going to play a game now. And games are just a group of people agreeing to all pretend together that the game matters. Like the game is influencing our decisions or, you know, like we're saying this is a rule and you can't do that. And there's nothing that says you actually can't do it it's just all agree us all agreeing that we can't do it a collective understanding yes yeah and so once you have that level of understanding the other skills that have already been developed in the human brain are things like fine and gross motor skills like i mentioned and then also there's certain cognitive skills that have already been developed and so games like animal upon animal um rhino hero and um sorry i'm like checking my shelf um level king and (laughs) things that yeah things that use basically physics and stacking the human brain has already developed and can handle and the only thing that would give you an advantage is just practice so when it comes to stacking things or games that deal with balance or kind of like physics games Kids already can handle that. Our brains can handle that. And all they need is practice. Well, what is one of the things that we do with kids and buy for kids? Blocks. And what is the thing that kids do constantly? They just stack stuff. Like, as children, they just want to stack things. And we buy toys for them to stack things constantly. So then we say, okay, let's play a game where we're going to stack stuff. And your kids have been more in practice recently stacking stuff than most adults have on their daily basis. Uh, So, and then at the same time, adults, as we get older, we get, uh, how do we say, less coordinated, Um, (laughs) less less delicate with our fine motor skills. Um, We're dehydrated, we're over-caffeinated, we're kind of distracted. Our brains are thinking about, did I flip the laundry? Do I need to start dinner? Oh, did I forget to defrost the chicken, right? And then you're like, wait, where did you go on your turn, right? And so it's one of those things like with kids, we say, okay, we're going to play a stacking game right now. And the kids are like, I have trained for this since I was 12 months old, right? And then with adults, you're like, we're going to play a stacking game. Did I call back the mechanic? You know, it's, it's one of those things where like just by talking about kids and what they've been doing and where their brains are and then adults and where their brains are, which are mostly distracted, uh, and the fine motor skills and things that have happened, you've, you've leveled the playing field. Right. right. Uh, and the more that the kids play with you, the better they're going to get. Um, Patrick leader from leader games has told me that he's at a standstill at animal upon animal with his six year old. Um, they are so evenly matched now that they've had to come up with more and more aggressive restrictions and like placement <laughs> rules. <laughs> so Extra and then parameters. They just, exactly. And they just bought the new set so that they could have new shapes to add in and stuff like that. So there's games, there's certain game skills that kids can just do. Um, Dragon's Breath is another one. Kids can train um, probability and um, there's calculated probability and then there's assumed probability. So when you look at 
a cluster of gemstones and you say, which one do you think is going to, like which color from all the gemstones you see here do you think is gonna fall more? There's no math calculation in that. It's literally just look and you see like how much red do I think there is versus blue versus purple, that kind of thing. And kids can do that just as well as adults. There's right. no skill difference on that one. If we were talking about calculating the probability of rolling a pair of numbers, you know, on dice versus rolling, I don't know, a triple, uh, a three of a kind on dice, that adults have a bit more of advantage of. But kids, when it just comes to assume probabilities that you see visually, find motor skills from stacking and building things, um, a lot of these games, kids can totally dominate and will dominate <laughs> parents on frequently. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. One thing that comes up from time to time whenever I review a Hava game is I get a question about, like, how accurate do you think the age rating is on this box? You know, like, is it really five and up or, you know, could my like two year old play this or vice versa of, you know, it says five and up, but you know, I, I think I might have to wait a couple of years and every kid is different and every parent's going to have a different understanding of their kids' capabilities. But what I find is that Haba games consistently seem to be well targeted uh, a specific age range and that's not true across the whole industry like like what do you think goes into that kind of disparity where there's some games that are marketed this is for 12 and up but totally my mm -hmm. my six or seven year old could start developing the skills in order to do that whereas some games are are totally targeted at younger ages but you you really need a lot more cognitive understanding in order to be able to interact with them yeah so with haba and i we totally see this disparity and it's it's something that we at haba struggle with um and we struggle with it because of just the perceived age value of games mm -hmm. so for Haba, when we say a game is five and up, what we're looking at is we're looking at what cognitive skills, what social skills, what academic skills do you need to play this skill, this this game? And what age is it where this skill is solidified, right? Um, so do you have everything that you need to do, uh, everything that you would need to do to win this game? And we base that off of child psychologists um, or studies, so studies of human brain development and average ages of certain skill sets um, as they're uh, as they are available, basically for the average human to do. So, like I said, by the age of four, on average, most kids have developed all the skills that they need for basically being able to comprehend anything. At that point, it's just practice and then academic and social skills. Um, from like a physical standpoint, they can do almost anything. They just have to practice. Um, so that's how we rate, that's one of the things we look at. The other thing we look at is academic skills. So the idea of like numbers and quantities, kids can understand quantities and like what is less, what is more, that kind of thing. Um, they can even start to understand counting, like what is the difference between two and three? What is the difference, like what does zero mean? Right. But if we say, can you do 12 minus four, right? Um, 
on just in your head or talking about actual numerals um, and that kind of stuff, that comes later. So you can make games that deal with quantities and essentially numbers, but as long as numerals aren't present, because numerals are learned later. Um, So we look at all of those things when it comes to setting the age of a game. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't want to like, I don't want to throw anybody off the bus, but one of the things in the U S is the U S government has had, has set very strict rules and regulations and laws on selling products targeted towards children. And when you sell a product to children, you have to pass a whole bunch of testing. And the testing is very expensive. It's not cheap. You have to pass testing um, in regards to the components. What are they made of? If there's paint or any kind of stain or color, what is the chemicals? You have to provide full chemical manifests of all the chemicals used on these features. And then you have to mail them copies of the game. And it has to be a production like copy of the game. So you have to produce the game and then mail them one while the rest of the ones you produced like sit in a warehouse and they actually will like drill into the toy. They'll take paint scrapings. They will do the chemical breakdown of everything to ensure that you weren't lying when you said, yes, there's no lead here. Promise. Taste Um, it a little. Yeah, they they do taste tests, see if anybody gets sick. Um, There's also a uh, choke tube that it's a, creepy is what it is <laughs> that <laughs> immediately brought to mind so many images that i never want to think of again no you really don't want to but basically they have like a mannequin that's like ah uh, and it has a <laughs> tube and the tube is a certain diameter and they it's the the face is like a face but then like from the jaw down it's transparent and they drop the toys down the who, tube. who invented this is this like a david lynch production you know like <laughs> geiger came in here and was like we're going to create the most creepy testing device possible i don't know it's but it's so what happened, <laughs> the reason i know what it looks like is because if a toy fails they send you pictures of the toy lodged in the, the, the tube. And you're just like, but why did you put lips on it? Like, why is it eyes? Like... <laughs> but anyway, so there's a lot of testing that the U.S. does. And the U.S. does the most stringent and strict and, and severe testing, most thorough testing of any com- a country in the world. U.S. testing is the highest. Canada has different testing rules. Europe has different testing rules. Different countries in Europe have different testing rules and restrictions. But the U.S. is the most strict. And there's kind of this like, we have a joke at Haba, which is, well, if it's U.S. tested, we can sell it anywhere in the world. Does that <laughs> so, impact which games you bring over here? Like, are there games on the German market where they are perfectly acceptable and the German government is, you know, totally fine with it? They've certified it. Families are cool with it. But even though you think it might be a good selling game in the United States, you just don't think that it would pass muster for American testing and you don't want to make compromises to, like, change components or anything. A hundred percent. Yes. So, and I have a great example. So Unicorn Glitter Luck Cloud Stocking, um, which is one of our best selling games and Dragon Rapid Fire as well. But this is actually, um, Unicorn Glitter Luck is a, uh, IP in Germany. It's like the My Little Pony of Germany. Um, but the original game came with crystals that were very small. Um, and 
the original crystals or no they weren't small they were big they were big and chunky and beautiful and i wish i had i got rid of my copy um i wish i had a copy of it because it was the gemstones were massive and um because it's easier for little hands to grab because this game is for three and up well in the u.s those big chunky awesome sparkly glittery crystals this is the u.s the new ones we had to do they could make it past the mouth as the choke too, <laughs> oh, no. but they would get stuck in the throat. Right, right. So we couldn't import the game to the U.S. Um, because of that. And so man, we had to go back to Germany was like, hey, we're selling this like hotcakes. Are you sure you don't want this? And we were like, we definitely want it. Let's do it. So they manufactured a bunch. They sent it out, the one copy out to testing and testing was immediately like, nope can't do it and we were sitting here with you know thousands of these games going but why um and it was because of that crystal and so we had to change the design of the crystals in the game to be slightly smaller so that if a child did swallow it they wouldn't there's no way they can choke on it it just goes right into their stomach not ideal but not deadly um and so that's one of those things where it's like we had to make a change at the production level to do that. And there are some Haba games where they've designed a very specific component. There's some really cool games that do some really cool stuff with like uh, components that twist or turn or things pop up and, and um, things like that, that we have looked at and we're like, there's no way we could manufacture this to fit us rules and regulations just because it won't get past wouldn't it would never pass testing and we can't change this one piece because it's super crucial or or to change this one piece would just be insanely expensive so we're just not even going to bother um that kind of thing so there are games where we've looked at it and we're like this would be amazing this would never pass testing Gah! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um and the developers and the developers in germany that develop the games and, and look at the games and do the manufacturing, they do try to keep that in mind. And right. they have had in the last couple of years when they sit down and they look at manufacturing a game, they, they have been better about that. But when Haba first bringing, started bringing games over to the U S six years ago, they had never thought about it. They had never considered it. And so there's this huge backlog of really awesome Haba classics that are still made and sold in Europe, but we just, we would have to like retool the entire thing to make it work. One of my favorites is over there and I'm not going to show it because <laughs> I, I really want it to go to the U S that it can't, but it involves metal ball bearings and magnets and it's super awesome. But like, there's no way we could retool it to make it work for the U S market without spending just way too much money. I feel like you're packing some contraband over there. You know, you got hot goods. <laughs> as long as I don't sell it, it's all good. <laughs> you know, so far we've only been talking about the games that are focused on young children. You know, the yellow box games, which Haba is mainly known for. Do you find that it's hard to kind of like break out of that specific identity to market some of the older age games? I mean, Haba at this point has kind of a killer lineup of these game night approved games. I mean, I, I'm thinking of like Honga and Miyabi are recent ones that absolutely killed it in my game group. Are, are those things that you struggle to market because you are the kids game company? 
Yeah, sadly. Um, <laughs> so one of the one of the things about us is because we look at what kids are capable of and what they can do. And then we look at like the child safety testing levels and the academic levels and we set the age of the game. We have a whole bunch of games right now that are seven or eight and up. Um, and they're like Miyabi, which is designed by Michael Kiesling. Um, Miyabi is very simple to get up and start learning and to play. But then there's a lot of strategic depth and potential in that game. Um, the more you play it, the more you want to play it to see if you can improve. Um, there's interesting decisions every time with the way the tiles come out and you draft them and your opponents and all sorts of stuff. It is very comparable to Michael Kiesling's, uh, the original Azul that he did. Um, and a lot of people really like it. I know, I know you really like it. Um, but the problem is, is one, we're Hava, so people think kids games. And then two, because we um, do the testing, that very expensive testing, we can put that game as eight and up on, on the box. Um, and so when we put that game for sale and we set it up to basically put it against a competitor's game, maybe even if it was the same exact game, you know what I mean? And right, right. we did what most of the competitors do, which is they set it as 13 or 14 and up. Because if you set your game as 13 or 14 and up, you don't actually have to pay for any child testing whatsoever. Um, and so when you do that, you don't have to pay for child testing. And then people like immediately are like, oh, it's an adult game. It's a strategy game. Um, and so because we are accurate, so accurate, maybe too <laughs> accurate, on our age things, people say, if you if you hand if I handed you a game and I said, Do you want to play this one or this one? And the one on the right was for eight and up and the one on the left was 14 and up just by default people are going to want to play adults mostly are going to want to play the 14 and up because they're like oh that one's the other one's just for kids why would i want to play that so then you throw on the hobble logo <laughs> exactly that's that's what comes <laughs> and, to mind for then, me yeah so we have really struggled um to to get people realizing that Hava can create really good, interesting strategy games that are involved and brain burny for adults. Um, because one, people associate Hava with yellow boxes and just small kids games. It's what you buy for your kids or your nieces or your nephews, that kind of thing. Um, and then at the same point, because we're very accurate with our age limit, people see eight and up and they're just kind of like, oh, that's for kids. But at the same time, they'll go, oh, my son, who is eight, can totally play this game for 14 and up. You totally can do that. And so it's kind of like, well, yes, but the game for 14 and up isn't actually for 14 and up. Cognitively right. and skill-wise, that is an eight and up game, but they just didn't want to pay for child testing. <laughs> yeah. And also, from a marketing standpoint, it's better marketing to put 14 and up. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, and, we, and yeah, there's, there's also a relationship that parents have with their kids and you want to naturally feel like you your kid is very smart and very, very special. And, you know, like if you can tell your friends like, yeah, my kid is playing a game that's for 14 and up and my kid is only nine years old, then suddenly it sounds like, whoa, your kid is like a high school level intellectual genius. Whereas <laughs> if they're playing something that's age appropriate i mean there's almost like a, a cultural like uh, i i guess this this 
looking down upon age appropriate activities. Everyone wants their kid yeah. to be excelling at things and doing things so far above them. You know, like my kid went to first grade and they were already reading at a third grade level or something. And, and that's the what's being marketed to parents you know i feel that right now is the pressure that your kids shouldn't be just where they're at that they should be grossly advanced ahead of what is expected for entering kindergarten or entering first grade and i imagine that that perception totally extends to board games yeah definitely and i can also see it at the same time where some people, if like their kid is already playing games that are, you know, the 14 and up labeled ones, and then you say, hey, do you want to play Honga, which is for eight and up, they immediately go, well, but my kid's playing 14 and up. We don't want them to be playing right. down. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, or there's another thing where there's kind of this bias that by marketing the games above the cognitive age level, um, what ends up happening is people have been trained to say, oh, well, my son can totally play games that are for 14 and up. This is not a problem. He can totally do that. I will say there's some landmines in there because there are some games where cognitively it's like, oh no, this is like, we talk about the Stark market. There is like percentages you have to do, you know what I mean? And so like those games, it's like, oh no, this is like for 15, 16 and up. And then, you know, we have these parents that are buying these games because they're like, oh, my kid is 10 and can totally do 14 and up. And then they hit this landmine and they're like, oh, no, it didn't work. I don't want to throw shade or anything, but th this was something that I, I was thinking about when I uh, was working on a review for My Little Scythe. And, and there, there's just this gross misunderstanding, in, in my opinion, about like a game that a child is capable of playing versus a game that a child is capable of interacting with as a game like and, mm. and that game you know all kids are at different age levels and everything but i i realized like every time that i tried to play it with a, a kid who was at the minimum age which i think was eight um mm. i i felt like one the 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 like baby scythe characters seemed like it was marketing towards you know very young kids um, as opposed to, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-old interest in cartoons and that kind of stuff. Uh, but then the, the actual game itself, there are strategic decisions that were consistently outside of what the kids that I was playing with would typically do. They could theoretically play the game, but it's like we were talking about earlier with, like, how to even the playing field and to, to understand, like, complex systems and how they relate to one another that cognitively an eight-year-old just might not be prepared to actually do something so that's an example of a game where if i wanted a kid to win in that game i'm probably going to have to choose to lose and that doesn't feel good for anyone yeah or you'd have to train you'd have to take a couple games to train the right. kid how those systems work and do and and there are a lot of games out there where even with hava games some hava games your first game you're just learning how to play it and you're seeing how it works it's really like the second game where you're like okay we're gonna do this now but at the same time we see that as adults uh with gaming like the other day uh my husband steve and i we played um t for two which is the new two-player uh game i forget I don't even off the top of my head. I can't tell you who designed it or published it, <laughs> but it's um, oh no, it's Space Cowboys published it. 
I remember that. Um, but it, it's basically a deck builder, but you're playing war. Do you remember the card game War? Yeah, well, um, it's a stretch to call War a game, but yes. <laughs> yes, this is true. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's one of those where it's like, uh, it's you're playing War, but you're deck building the deck that you're playing War with. And so it took us like three quarters of the game to really grasp what we were doing and the potential of what we were doing. Right. And then once we had, we were like, this is so trippy. And so then we wanted to play a second game and the second game we were really, you know, I would say experiencing it. So, um, but yeah, I think if, if, if you're playing with kids and you feel like every time you sit down to play a game with kids, regardless of, you know, let's say you were playing my little scythe and you were playing them and you played with like, I don't know, 10, eight year olds, right? Like, and you had to have the same thing with each one, then yeah, that might be a sign. Um, and that was one thing I didn't mention is at Haba, we're at Haba, Germany, where they do the development and testing for these games. Um, they actually are very lucky. There's actually a Haba kindergarten. <laughs> so okay. um, Haba provides a kindergarten for its employees, kids. And then there's a local kindergarten and daycare facility um, and also elementary school that Haba works with in the city where the Haba headquarters is. And they will actually go in and play prototypes with the kids. Um, and so they'll play the games. They'll teach the games to the kids. They'll play the games with the kids. And they'll watch how the kids interact with the games to make sure that what they're targeting age-wise makes sense for that game, actually. Um, so, yeah. But Another thing that could be a problem when we talk about aging games is the idea of like, well, if you have a, if we train everybody to say, well, this game is for 14 and up, but that means that my eight-year-old can play it. When you look at a game that's for eight and up, their brain's going to automatically go, oh, but that means my five-year-old can play it. Right? Like you, you end up with this thing where people are like translating down constantly because we have games that are rated way too high when it comes to what age actually could be played there. Um, and it, I was on a panel last weekend for NunPub, which was fantastic. NunPub, they did a great job. It, it was the virtual convention of UnPub. UnPub, if you're not familiar with it, is a, um, uh, it's for unpublished games where they do like playtesting and different support and things like that. Um, but they did a whole bunch of panels and one of the panels, they started talking about ages and what you rate a game as for ages. And I was listening to the conversation of the publishers on the panel and I was just like, no, <laughs> because none of them were talking about, they were all talking about what components were in the game. And then they were talking about like academic skills, but they weren't actually talking about any other skills um from like a cognitive development standpoint or just like relational like um economic relational or or anything like that it was kind of like well play it with a bunch play it with some kids because remember your kids might be better at games than other kids so if you can play it with some kids and if an eight-year-old can understand it then you can say eaten up on the box and i was like no but that's not yes but mm. <laughs> and, do, do you find that I know that you guys have uh, a lot of convention presence, digital or otherwise, and do you find that some people have like a, a retroactive dismissal of the games when they find out the, the age range? Because some of these games look really impressive on a table. We were talking about Miyabi and it has this real cool hobby game look. It has kind of like a watercolor aesthetic to it and it has a verticality, which is unlike 
any other tile placement game that I've played. So it just looks really awesome on the table. And I got to imagine that people are attracted to it and come over and are like, hey, what's going on with this game? This looks interesting. Do you ever find that they'll go, oh, eight and up? Never mind. A hundred percent. Yeah. We've at conventions back in the day, uh, when people could wander around in the physical realm, um, (laughs) we, (laughs) we would have, we purposely made sure that we had Honga or Miyabi set up on a table because they have such an amazing table presence and we'd have adults come by and like, look and like pick up Honga or stack tiles on Miyabi and do that kind of stuff. And then they'd walk into the shop and pick up the game and they would take one look at like the stat box and they'd say oh eight and up and they'd just put it down and walk away that sucks and yeah and it's it's i mean it is what it is it's it's one of those things where people there are so many games there are what is it like five thousand SKUs a year uh for games right now that are being made and produced and there are so many things just clamoring for your attention when it comes to buy a game, buy a game, buy a game. Um, And so many people are looking for so many different gaming experiences. And so one of the things that you have to come up with uh, when you're trying to navigate the market of games, right, all the hundreds of games, thousands of games, is quick filters, right? Like quick yes, no filters um, to help you weed through the stuff. And one of the quickest filters that people can use is the stats on the box. Right. So like for me, my quick filter is if it doesn't say two, eight players, two or more players, if it's three or more players, it's immediate no for me because I mostly play with my husband. Right. And for some people, what they have set as their one of their quick filters is an age limit. Um, just because they have played a lot of games that have been rated at the default 14 and up, which is the no need for testing level. Right. And so they're like, oh, if it's for four, if it's for under 14, it's too childish for me. I don't want it. And it's just kind of the way it is. <laughs> like, you, I can't blame people for that. You know what I mean? Like, it's, right, yeah. you have to you have to set a line someplace. And, and when you look at the thousands of games that are put out, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I'd rather be an exception than than make everybody like change their their way (laughs) if that makes sense like keep your filters there's thousands of games definitely do it but maybe just take a double look at haba (laughs) like for sure you know there are thousands of games out there but let me tell you miyabi is one of the best of them now you are so you know you're you're all over the place your presence is at all kinds of digital conventions now we were talking about how there was the before time when we could interact in the physical realm whereas now we're in the digital realm for all sorts of things and uh, i don't want to take up all of your time but why don't we leave it just with like how is haba weathering the covid pandemic and adapting to this new world of digital conventions and you know selling predominantly online and less people being able to look at physical products you know what what's shaken over there at haba with this well we um back in april when the lockdown was kind of big um in the u.s uh during that i think it was like that two-week period where the majority of the u.s lockdown we um we sat down and we brainstormed a lot of different tools and programs that we could start to help our retailers because Haba primarily sells to brick and mortar stores or, or retailers. Um, 
and we wanted to make sure that they survived. And so we came up with a lot of different programs to help support them both during lockdown and after lockdown. And a lot of those programs uh, revolved around helping them get up an online store presence via like either Shop uh, Shopify or Facebook online stores, or um, there's a couple other like store programs. Um, so we created tools so they could easily quickly like import and get Haba up so that they could do curbside or uh, local uh, delivery or that kind of thing to support Haba that way and uh, to support their business and Haba sales that way. And then what ended up happening is because um, we did that and then the school year never went back, um, which, you know, sucked. Uh, and summer for a lot of people was very different. Um, they had a lot of kids at home when normally they would be sending them out. We actually saw a massive spike in Hava sales because so many parents were looking for games or activities to do with their kids in the Hava range of like to the Hava sweet spot of like <laughs> from two to, you know, eight years old. And so we saw and our retailers that were able to stay open and via like curbside pickup or social distance pickups, um, they saw a huge, huge boom in sales of Hava games um, just because, you know, you send your kid to daycare, they come home, they're better at colors. Well, they're not going to daycare now. How do we get them better at colors? You play My First Orchard, right? So we saw a lot of stuff there. So from that side, Hava's actually been doing pretty good um, through the pandemic. It, it it sucks that parents are having to do homeschooling or home learning or um, anything you want to call game schooling, whatever you want to call it. Um, well, but on even, the one side, even a, apart from the educational aspect, I mean, when I'm trapped at home with my five-year-old and I can't send them over to their friend's house for a few hours or anything, or, you know, I, I don't have outlets for other places that we can go. We can't go to playgrounds in yeah. order to, you know, just get your energy out and engage you. Then I need something that is going to be fun that we can both enjoy at home. And that's been a, a big aspect for us is my kid was a gamer before this, you know, he liked board games before this, but since COVID hit, he has really dived into <laughs> just any sort of board games. And then also like the, this was the point in which, you know, he discovered Lego, like truly discovered the, the capability of not just making a couple things, but like truly using it as like a facilitator of his imagination, which has been awesome. But yeah, I, I got to imagine a big part of those sales are parents that are like, I I am in yeah. child prison right now. So let's go ahead and get some board games. So that way we all yeah. survive this. Well, and a lot of parents that are gamers, they often had game groups outside the home. And so they weren't able to, and they aren't still maybe able to go and game with people outside of their home with the with the games that they would potentially, or that they would enjoy more, like the the really heavy, hardcore, you know, Euro, right, right, right. whatever games. Um, and so they're finding they're, they're, they're having to use their family as a game group. And so we've also seen an increase of, um, we've seen an increase of gamer parents just being like, I have to play a game. I need to play a game. If it's gotta be with a seven year old. We'll do it. Let's do this. Let's just do this. Um, so we have also seen that where like a lot more people are getting their families into gaming to help them, um, get through these, you know, gaming, 
uh, dry, this gaming dry spell time, um, if we want to put it that way. So, so Hobbit has been doing pretty well from that standpoint. Um, and I know not a lot of publishers are as lucky. Um, I know some publishers that the ones that depended on the, the big game groups and stuff like that to get together, I know they're struggling with a little bit more. Um, and then as far as digital conventions go, that's where we're really struggling. Um, at physical conventions where you could bring the whole family, you could sit down, you could play games together. It'd be super fun, right? And you would have a great time. But we can't really do that in the digital realm because parents don't want to just say, hey, kids, sit in front of the screen and let's play a game together. Like, there's all this whole thing, like, for school or whatever, they're already staring at screens. They want to get the kids off the screen. And so for the most, the majority of our games, we can't really, we also can't, playing Rhino Hero in Tabletopia is nowhere near as fun as playing Rhino Hero <laughs> in true. real life. Very true. Yeah. So it's one of those things where like if we look at what games make sense to implement in a digital realm from our catalog, I think we have like 10. So <laughs> and the majority of them are our family strategy games. And so for digital conventions, we've really pivoted to we can only really support you playing at our booth the family strategy games like Miyabi or Honga. And so we do have implementations of those that you can play with us um, and we'll teach you and you can play them with other people. And, and that's awesome. But at the same time, like for our new releases, like in a flash firefighters or um, Dragon's Breath Hatching, like uh, you could make a tabletop version of those, but it's just not the same. It's just really not as interesting. And so for those for like conveying that in a digital convention that yes, this game is fun. We're limited to doing playthroughs, which at the same time, not a lot of people like to sit and watch playthroughs. And then at the same time, I don't have a kid. <laughs> I don't have kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's kids in my neighborhood, but we're all pretty good about quarantine bubbles and things like that. So I can have a bunch of adults playing a game, which is which is fun, right? But like me playing a game meant for three-year-olds to show you how it works isn't as fun as you playing it with your three-year-old and seeing that, that you know your family enjoys it so it's when it's you know there's pros and there's cons um or there's I, I should say there's positives and there's negatives um and I think the biggest negative for us is we really love having that family-friendly safe gaming space at conventions where families can come and they know that they can just sit down and play with their kids and we know and expect you to come and sit down with your kids. So when your toddler starts throwing a fit, we don't, we don't mind. <laughs> like you don't need to apologize. It's cool. We will hand them one of the rattle toys, you know, so that they can keep themselves distracted in our booth, you know, but we don't, we can't do that in the digital conventions. And it really, it really bums me out. Uh, Cause we used to have families that would come and it would be like to go to origins or Gen Con was their like family vacation Right. Like instead of going to Disney World, they would come to Origins and they would come to the Haba booth. And we just I, I can't recreate that in the digital realm as much as we've tried with play alongs or playthroughs or, or that kind of stuff. So, well, you may not be able to do thing. that, but I know that like one of the, the unexpected consequences of everyone in lockdown is that. Uh, having Zoom game sessions and what is perfectly suited for that is like flipping rights and rolling rights and that kind of thing. And you guys just came out with uh, like my first rolling right. You know, Color It is a pretty dope game. Is that actually working out well? Did it time right unintentionally with the pandemic? Yes, it timed maybe too well with the pandemic. People <laughs> might be getting suspicious. Uh, 
But yes, so we did actually come out with uh, our first Haba roll on right this year. It's color it, it's for four and up. Um, there's two puzzle, there's two ways to play. One is for uh, younger colorers, and then the other variant is for what we call advanced colorers. And um, it does work super well over Zoom or Skype or whatever video chatting you want to do. So um, you can play along. And we have the coloring sheets available online already. So you could print them out. And we kind of did like a, a pre-release of Color It when lockdown really started, where we sent some copies. We had some review copies um, that we couldn't sell for legal reasons, but we could just send to <laughs> More reviewers. Contraband. More contraband. Yeah. Um, so we sent them to reviewers and we said, could you please do a play along? So uh, Monique and Naveen did an amazing 13 minute color at play along. And the coloring sheet, we made the coloring sheets available for them like early and all sorts of stuff. And so people could go and start playing this immediately and then they could recreate and do kind of like print and play versions at their house so they could play with people. And so yeah, we've been doing a lot of Zoom gaming with Colorit, which has been really great. Uh, seeing people's coloring sheets, they send them to us on social media. We also have Fiverr Find In, which is part of our family strategy line, and that's a roll and write for seven and up, which is super puzzly. Um, and that just came out for Gen Con Online. Also, maybe too conveniently. Uh, <laughs> who, who knows what's going on at those uh, Haba testing kindergartens, you know? Ooh, yeah. Um, and then we also do have Karuba. Karuba is kind of what people, a lot of people consider to be one of the first uh, video friendly play along games. We had people doing Karuba play alongs back in 2016, back before like roll and write play alongs was a thing that you did. Um, and so we've seen a large, large increase in Karuba gaming, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, we do have the three games the older one and then the two new ones that do work really well for the zoom gaming. And so we have been doing more of those and we will be doing more of those play alongs. Basically every virtual convention that I can sign up for, I am signing up for, and I'm just doing play alongs of those three games. So yeah. Okay. Well, I think that is a high note that we can leave it on. I mean, there are a million things that I could talk to you about and you are one of my favorite people to talk to in the industry, but we are both busy people and got places to go. So we'll leave it at that. And for all of you out there who have not checked out Haba either as games for younger children or those game night approved games that are kind of pretty awesome just for adults to play, but accessible for some of your children who are a little bit older, definitely check those out. So once again, thank you so much for coming on to the show, T. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I we could talk forever. I think you are also <laughs> one of my favorite people to talk to in the industry. So yeah, thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this video, we have all kinds of other reviews, interviews, and recommendations via writing, podcasts, and video here on our channel and website, CardboardHerald.com. Our content is audience supported. So if you want to show your support, please visit our Patreon. Thank you so much for watching. This has been the Cardboard Herald.